0: You notice tonight, you uh, you have all your blanks, there are no blanks to fill in, so we won't have a PowerPoint, and if my voice doesn't hold out, if my voice didn't hold out with blanks, you'd leave here with blanks. And so since my voice may not hold out, you've got everything without blanks. Does he have some more? Okay. <laughs> Okay, my voice seems to have even gotten worse as the afternoon has worn on. So again, I apologize, just kind of low-key tonight, and uh, I hope it'll last. I want you to take your Bibles out tonight, and I want you to turn to a number of different passages with me. Find 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. and you're going to need to find Romans chapter 12 again tonight as well, passage we were in last week, Romans 12, 1st Peter chapter 4 and 1st Corinthians 12 Romans 12, 1st Corinthians 12 1st Peter 4 And one more, Ephesians 4. So 2 12s, 2 4s. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. And I tell you what, let's just take them in that order. Romans, in the order they appear in our New Testament. Romans 12, 3, listen to what Paul says there. For by the grace given to me... Now put a finger in that passage because we're going to come back to that passage and concentrate a lot later on tonight. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says there in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which our more presentable parts do not require. Then turn over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 Beginning in verse 11, Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to, a, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says there, beginning in verse 10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves As one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now folks, four weeks ago we started talking about stewardship in general. Then in the second lesson we spoke of the stewardship of God's truth. God's holy word. Last week we looked at the stewardship of our lives. And how Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we need to yield our lives. We need to present our lives as that living sacrifice unto God. Well tonight let's begin looking at the first specific offering that we are to make. I say specific because I've told you we're going to cover things like our time and our work, things of that nature. But I want us to begin by talking about the stewardship of our gifts, our spiritual gifts. And look again at what Peter says here in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 10. How he says, as each has received a gift, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. When God saved you, he has a plan for your life that is related to his family, the church. You've got a mission to the world to be an ambassador for Christ. And you've got a ministry to your church family. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. He said, Timothy, you need to fan into flames the gift of God that is within you. Now, we've seen in all these passages that we read tonight that the church is compared to a what? What's the church compared to? Say that again. A body. body. Exactly. The church is compared to a human body. A body has different parts, different members. And a healthy body, a strong and a healthy body, will have all of the various parts working together in harmony. A foot can't do... What a hand can do and vice versa. In a healthy body, all the parts of the body are in place doing what they're supposed to do. Likewise, in a spiritual body, all the parts of a spiritual body are in place functioning properly together. And when that happens, you have a stronger, healthier body. And so in the exercise of your gift, you either help the body of Christ to function properly or in some sense, you cripple the body. If you're not using your gift to build up the body, you're hindering the body of Christ. In some way, you're crippling the body of Christ. And so you and I either help or hinder. Now folks, I want you to think with me for a minute. What could happen in a church if every single member of the church knew their spiritual gift, was developing their spiritual gift, and was using their spiritual gift to its fullness in the building up of that church? Can you imagine what church life would be like if every member of the body did that? Folks, it would be incredible what churches could accomplish in the name of Jesus. So we need to understand in the exercise of our spiritual gift or the lack of exercise of our spiritual gift that we either help strengthen the body or weaken the body. Again, just think of what Peter says here. As stewards... Of the manifold grace of God, each member needs to carry out his gift. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, we all need to discover our gift or gifts and begin to develop them and use them to the fullest potential. Now, first thing I want to do tonight is just cover a general introduction to spiritual gifts. A study of spiritual gifts is important if for no other reason to remember to remind us of two things. Number one, we're part of a body. We're part of a body, as I've already said. Spiritual gifts serve as a reminder to us that we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now folks, in America, we love to think in terms of this Lone Ranger mentality. Those who have served on mission fields and come back to talk about American Christianity versus what they encountered on a mission field... They, they talk about this. They say, in America, it is so difficult to get the members of the church out of this Lone Ranger mentality. We're so individualistic and we tend to think in terms of our own needs. And it's not to be that way. Remember a passage we read one evening? In uh, Philippians chapter 2, where Paul said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Spiritual gifts help us to look after one another. Spiritual gifts help us to serve one another. Now, what did you notice in 1 Corinthians 12 7 about spiritual gifts? What did Paul say there? 1 Corinthians 12 7? What do you say there? Anybody? They're given for the profit of all. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good. And so who benefits from your spiritual gift? The church does. Your gift is not for you. If you don't discover your gift and develop your gift and and deploy your gift... Not only are you going to miss a blessing, but we are going to miss a blessing. And worse yet, if you don't discover your gift and use it, you're quenching the Spirit. You're quenching the Spirit. Everybody God places in a a body, He places there for a reason. You're to be a blessing to the body of Christ through the service of your gift. Now, another reason... That teaching on spiritual gifts is important. is because we live in a day of depersonalization, don't we? What are you, when you go to the doctor's office or other offices and fill out paperwork? George, what do they want to know about you? What do they ask? What's that one question? You didn't hear. Okay. What, what, what do they want to know when we fill out questionnaires about ourselves? I heard it. Somebody said it starts with an S. Social security number. Right? Your date of birth and your social security number. Isn't it kind of easy in our world today to start feeling like a number that we don't really have personal value or personal importance? But spiritual gifts remind us that just like cells in our body, we have a contribution to make that nobody else can. Now, most Bible commentators agree that a spiritual gift is a God-given ability for service. I agree with that. They are grace gifts. As Paul talks about them in 1 Corinthians 12, the word he uses is charismata. Which literally, it just simply means a grace gift. A gift of grace. Charismata. But I encourage you to also think of your spiritual gift as a birthday present. Now why would I say that? Does anybody have a clue? Why is a spiritual gift your birthday present? Given when you get saved. Uh, At least two things you get when you get saved. One's a person, one's a gift. Who's the person? Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit give you? A gift. A gift. We get a gift when we are born into the body of Christ. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's that down payment for the consummation of our salvation, when, we, when we're in the presence of God, we get the Holy Spirit now as a seal, a down payment, as Ephesians 1 says. And then along with the person of the Holy Spirit, he also gives us a gift that we're to use for the body of Christ. Now, birthday gifts are for our personal use, usually. But again, a spiritual gift isn't for our personal use, it is for the common good. Now, folks, one more word by way of introduction about gifts. Let's not underestimate how important they must be to God. Because, as we've seen here tonight, as I began reading Scripture, he addresses gifts in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, at least four different places. In the New Testament, God addresses the issue of spiritual gifts. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't assign values to things in the Word of God based on how many times they're mentioned. But yet, when something is mentioned four times, it's like God is saying, I want you to get this. It's like all the Gospels. What story do all of the Gospels close with that God doesn't want us to miss? The accounts of the resurrection. It's like God saying, I don't want you to miss that Jesus isn't still in the grave. He's been raised. And so it's almost like God saying also by covering gifts over and over again. It's like he's saying, I don't want you to miss this. So some words of introduction. Now let's think about the importance of spiritual gifts. Four things that I want you to see here. The gifts provide diversity in unity. Again back to Romans chapter 12. Back to Romans chapter 12 we see there that the gifts provide diversity in unity. Look at what Paul told them beginning there in verse 3. That they weren't to think too highly of themselves as though they were all that mattered. They were to discover and develop the gifts God had given to them realizing all the while that they were part of a larger body of believers. As we've said tonight, Christians make up one body of Christ. So each local congregation is a picture of one body. One body. We're, we're just one example, our fellowship, one example of the body of Christ meeting all over the world in different fellowships. The universal church, one body, but each congregation is a little microcosm of that. We're one body here. Now, the body needs the diversity of gifts for survival, right? Right? Do you hear that little joke about parts of the human body discussing, fighting, arguing about who was more important? The stomach that you can't see in the digestive system said, oh, we're more important. The heart said, no, you're not. The mouth said, no, you're not. The eye said, no, you're not. So the stomach said, I'll show you. It shut down. Several hours went by, a day went by, no big deal. Pretty soon the body got pretty thirsty, (laughs) got pretty hungry. They started crying out for some nourishment. Stomach said, nope, you didn't think I was that important. Not going to process any liquids, not going to process any food. And so the other members of the body thought, okay, we'll just kind of hang in there and see. Well, days went by and the body got thirstier and thirstier and pretty soon started getting dizzy and weak and couldn't even get up out of bed and dehydrated. And finally the other parts of the body started crying out, we're sorry, hango, you are important. <laughs> Well, every part of the body is needed for a healthy body. Even those parts of your human body that you can't see with the naked eye, guess what? They're important, aren't they? They're important. Now, a second item of importance about the gifts is they, they provide unity and diversity. First of all, diversity and unity as Paul said in Romans 12. But as he points out in 1 Corinthians 12, they provide unity in diversity. There is an interdependence. Now I could really use that same body illustration about the stomach to make this point also. But from the other angle. The stomach needs the hands... To put food into the mouth and the jaw and teeth needs to chew and swallow so the stomach will get it. It works both ways, right? All the parts are interdependent. They work together. And Paul begins making that point in 1 Corinthians 12. He emphasized that there is a variation or a variety of gifts but the same Lord. Different manifestations of the gifts but the same Spirit. And what he's talking about here is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are involved in the ordering and the distribution. In verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the same Spirit. In verse 5, he talks about the same Lord. And in verse 6, he's talking about the same God. Now, by implication, he's saying that the members of the Trinity work together and in harmony in the operation of spiritual gifts. So, we certainly ought to discover unity with other believers in the exercise of gifts. Then in verses 14 to 20, he emphasizes that we're all very different, but everyone is needed. Now, a third importance of spiritual gifts to keep in mind is they promote growth toward Christ-likeness. Ephesians 4, Paul talked about certain gifts that provide leadership to the church family. The the apostles, those early apostles. And then the prophets and teachers and evangelists and shepherds of the flock. What, What did he say about those leaders? God gives those particular gifts to a church family. Those those leadership and teaching and shepherding and pastoring type gift Gives those to a church family Why? For the building up of the body of Christ So the body of Christ won't be tossed to and fro By every little wind of doctrine that comes along But if pastors and evangelists and all are doing their job of preaching the word of God And nothing else and, and guarding the Word of God, and being good stewards of the Word of God, then everybody's going to be being fed the Word of God and not be carried to and fro by every little wind of doctrine that comes along. And the result of that is that the body of Christ, through the exercise of those gifts mentioned in Ephesians 4, helped produce a greater Christ-likeness in the church. And then is 1 Peter four eleven said, fourthly, they promote the good of others and the glory of God. The good of others and the glory of God. Now, with that said, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 12 a minute. I know we're jumping around. We're trying to kind of pull together what these four different passages We're just kind of trying to harmonize what these four different passages say about this same subject. Paul begins in verse 1 by saying we're not to be uninformed about gifts. We're We're not to be unaware, uninformed, or ignorant. We're to be knowledgeable about these gifts. Education may cost, but ignorance will cost us more, won't it? The church is not to be uninformed about this issue of gifts. When it comes to spiritual gifts, God wants us to be knowledgeable because it's by the exercise of these gifts that as a church body together we're going to grow and be strong and be a better witness to the community. The ministry will be expanded. The footprint of our ministry will be expanded and more effective as we all learn what our gift is and use it. Now folks, we all need to see again that we're a gifted child. If we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit and a gift that He gives us. A charismata. A grace gift. Every Christian has at least one. I don't think we're talking about just talents here. Now your spiritual gift may line up with whatever you're just kind of naturally talented at or gifted at growing up. But it may not. It may line up with that but it may not. In fact, when you get saved and God gives you a spiritual gift and you finally discover what that is and you start using that for the glory of God, it might dawn on you how unnatural that was to how you were previously growing up. Right? You might say, wow, that's not me at all. That's not me at all what I used to be. So it may line up with your talents, but don't think that it has to. It may not. Sometimes people say, I just don't feel adequate to do anything in the church. I don't feel equipped or adequate to do anything. Is that true? Not true. What that person is probably saying is they just haven't discovered their gift yet. They just had not quite discovered yet what it is. They're still struggling to, to discover that. But once they do, I don't think they'll feel that sense of not being able to contribute anything anymore. Because as Paul says here in chapter 12, each one, each one has received a gift. Well, let's think thirdly about the distribution of the gifts. And just keep your Bible there in 1 Corinthians 12. Look at what verse 11 says. Verse 11 points out that God gives gifts according to his sovereign wisdom. He says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what does that mean? You have the spiritual gift that God wanted you to have. The gift you have is the one that God wants you to use for the common good in the church. Now this means that you can't downplay your gift. Look at what he says in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say because I'm not a hand I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Don't downplay your gift. You can't say you know I'm not a teacher in the church. Or I don't have that gift of evangelism. Or I don't have that gift of showing mercy or of giving. So, you know, I'm just not that important. That's not true at all. Think of your human body again. Would you want to chop off your feet because they're not hands? No. Or would you want to chop off your hands because they're not feet? No. You appreciate the differences, right? So again, don't downplay your gift. And and from verse 14 all the way down through verse 20, Paul carries on a discussion that has to do with that that subject matter that we don't need to compare ourselves to others and downplay our gift because our gift is not the gift that somebody else in the church has. Well, in the same vein, what's the discussion he begins having in verse 21? In verse 21 he says that I cannot say to the hand I have no need of you. Just like we can't downplay our gift or something else we can't do. We can't downplay the gifts of others either can we? We can't say ha ha you know this is my gift. Brother Joe you don't have my gift I don't need you in the church. So I put another brother down and I build myself up. Can't do that either. Can't downplay my gift, can't downplay anybody else's gift. Again, all the gifts are needed and God has put all the gifts in the body as God sees fit. Don't question your gift or somebody else's gift. If we question our gift, we're essentially questioning the sovereignty of God. Do you believe God is sovereign? Sure you do. Then don't question why your gift is this and not this. God gave you the gift God wanted you to have. And that brother or sister sitting on the pew next to you right now, God gave them the gift that He wanted them to have. And so you need to respect these differences of, of various gifts. Now fourthly let's talk let's think a minute about the impl- implementation of spiritual gifts. When you put all four passages together in the Bible that have to do with spiritual gifts, most people come up with a list of somewhere about 18. Now for the sake of simplicity tonight and time, we're we're not going to cover all those. Cuz again this this tonight the, the the whole series is on stewardship. If the whole st- Series were on spiritual gifts, we try to cover them all. But we're just looking at some of the gifts tonight and how we're to be good stewards uh, of our spiritual gifts. Uh, the overall series is on stewardship, not gifts, so we'll try to limit our discussion of the gifts uh, to tonight. And so, what I want us to do is kind of camp out in the book of Romans. Romans 12. It's generally considered that this is the basic list for functioning in the New Testament church. The the basic list. Now, folks, we need to remember, regardless which list of gifts you look at, though, what Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13 about how we carry out the gifts? We're to carry them out in what? in love 1 Corinthians 13 because the Corinthians weren't carrying out their gifts in love they were bickering about their gifts they were jealous they were backbiting they were boasting they were putting one another down they weren't carrying out their gifts in love at all so whatever list in the New Testament of gifts you look at remember the first main thing we need to realize is that they're to be exercised in love But Paul mentions in verse 3 that there is to be an honest evaluation. He says, For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we're to have a sober judgment of ourselves. As part of that sober judgment, we see that we are a body, a body of believers. We each have a gift. There's not supposed to be any superstars. We all have a part to play. Every gift is needed. Now all the gifts are not equal, but all the gifts are needed. And so there needs to be a sober judgment about ourselves and the other members of the body and their gift. And as he points out in verse 5, too, that we need to see that we all, in a sense, belong to one another. We all belong to one another. Our gifts help each other. Our gifts are for the good of the whole. And again, as we said earlier, not simply for personal enjoyment. And so he begins this discussion of gifts by saying there needs to be honest evaluation. And then in verse 6 he moves on to talk about there needs to be faithful cooperation. We are to use our gifts. He says in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So there needs to be an honest evaluation and faithful cooperation. Let us use them. Now let's talk about the naming of the gifts He begins here by talking about different gifts What's the first one he lists? He lists that of prophecy Back before the completion of scripture God used prophets in the church to proclaim new truth As scripture was being written God used the apostles and prophets to share new truth and so he used the ancient prophets in the sense of foretelling. Well, today that gift is not thought so much in the sense of foretelling, but forthtelling, speaking what's already been written down, because we don't believe the canon of Scripture is open. That, that God is still writing books of the Bible to be included in the Bible. We believe the canon is closed. And so the gift of prophecy is not foretelling the way it was before the completion of the canon. But foretelling, speaking those things that are written down. What does he say if that is your gift? The gift of the proclamation of God's word. He says you need to use it in proportion to what? Proportion to your faith. Well what's the next gift that he lists here? He lists the gift of service. The gift of service. You could say ministry or the gift of helps. Service. If this is your gift, then what does he say about using this gift? He said, get busy serving, right? Get busy serving. If ministry or service is your gift, you like doing things that touches people's lives. Probably is going to be behind-the-scenes type stuff. Fixing a widow's door that's come loose. Or window that's broken. Or helping out around the church with building and grounds. Or learning about a new mother in the church who has a new baby. And she's going home and maybe she needs some help. And so you go by... And, and help her get started with some things. Ministry is that type of behind the scenes, hands on type stuff. That's this gift. And Paul is saying if that's what you enjoy doing. Then look around the church family for opportunities to exercise that. And just get busy doing it. As you see needs and hear about needs. Just step in and get it done Make time every week to be involved in some type of service, some type of ministry If your gift is teaching, that's the third one he lists here Then you enjoy study and reading and research You enjoy putting those lessons together or those messages together or those presentations. You thrive on that research. You love accumulating all those sources and finding out what you need to gather here and there and here and there uh, to give the best teaching format. Uh, You love teaching the Word of God and looking around the classroom and boom, seeing those light bulbs go off and those little boys and girls Uh, Or those adults, those light bulbs going off and they're understanding God's truth. You love that. You want to see your members grow in their knowledge of the Word of God. And then as they grow in the knowledge of the Word of God, you want to see them applying that knowledge. Now, to do this gift properly... You need to understand and love the fact that you need to put in hours and hours of preparation Hours and hours of preparation That's why if you're a teacher in the church If you're a Sunday school teacher that's one reason we say the classes ought to be organized. All those other class officers ought to be busy about doing what they're supposed to be doing in the class, whether they're a care group leader in their class, outreach leader, activities leader, because we want the teacher to be concentrating on teaching that lesson. If the te- if the teacher got to be doing all the ministry, all the service, all the inreach and outreach, all the planning of everything in the class, guess what? His or her lesson time. Might be compromised. And so you want to, other people in your class have gifts. You need to utilize them in those areas and let the teacher concentrate on teaching. Then the gift of exhortation. Exhortation, most agree, is some form of teaching in a way. Now, usually, exhortation carries the idea of encouragement to press home the truth of God. Uh, to press home to people to to walk faithful. Exhortation is kind of like a, a cheerleader who exhorts and encourages. Kind of like what those geese are doing in that V formation. You're like quack quack quack. Researchers have looked at that. And those geese cracking are ones on back in the line. They're, they're telling the leader, keep up the pace. Yay, go. And, and, they, they, research and they find out that leader who's, who's taking the wind impact and diverting or making it easier on the other geese in the uh, formation, every now and then they'll, they'll start switching out. They'll change the leader because that first place up there is tiring taking the wind. And so they rotate out, and as they rotate out, the new leader, the other geese, whack 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 whack, keep up the pace. That's what they researchers believes going on anyway. Well, that's exhortation. People need exhortation, just like they need ministry, just like they need instruction. They need exhortation. Exhortation. It's that sense of admonishment. When you say something like "son," you know. I want to see you quit waiting to the last minute to work on your school papers. Son, have you noticed when you do that, you don't make as good of a grade and you're hard to live with around here because you're so stressed out. So exhortation can, can have that sense of an announcement, either good or bad, encouragement or warning. You need to keep this up, you need to do this, or you need to stop this. Now, there's a couple of illustrations of this. Let's say a church, next door to a church, there were the projects. And in the projects, there were hundreds of lost kids. And let's say the church wasn't really baptizing anybody or reaching the lost. Somebody in the congregation, we'll, we'll talk about the right spirit in a minute, but in the right spirit they get up and say, Now folks, you know what? We're around here talking about children and, and outreach. We, we don't do anything to reach those kids in the projects. God's brought mission field right to our front door as a church. If we're really serious about the Great Commission... We've got to get serious about getting in over there and reaching those kids. And that person with exhortation kind of gathers people around. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're right. We need to do that. And through that exhortation, maybe the whole entire direction of a church body sort of gets changed. Their whole outlook on ministry and what their ministry begins to look like, it, it changes because everybody says, you know what, they're right. We're going to be serious about the Great Commission. These projects next door with all these kids. Somebody's got to reach them. God's put us right here to reach them. That's exhortation. It, it's a person who's able to kind of get everybody on board in the right spirit. Not, some people think they've got the gift of exhortation if they, if, they have, they, if they've got the gift of sandpaper. The gift of sandpaper is not a spiritual gift mentioned in the Bible. But some think they just got to offend everybody and say everything in such a way that they just kind of drive everybody away from them and everybody away from their ideas. That's not exhortation. Exhortation is that person in a church family who can kind of cheerlead something, get everybody gathered around and excited about accomplishing that together. Remember those parents in our church about 10 years ago? Every time Kevin Seeger, when he was still our youth pastor, it seemed like every time Kevin Seeger got the youth and youth leaders on a trip on the church vehicles we had at a time, parents would get a call in the middle of the night, we'd get a call in the middle of the night, somewhere four hours away from here, eight hours away from here. Those church vehicles we had at the time, they were broke down sitting on the side of the road, Right? Somebody would have to go after those teenagers or they'd have to call some kind of service nearby and load all those teenagers up on the side of a highway and get them in some hotel overnight while they get vehicle fixed. Remember some of those parents in a business conference saying, folks we got to do something about that. We can't start, we can't keep leaving our kids and our teenagers on the side of the road. Everybody started in that business meeting saying, that's right, we need to do something about that. And the church was admonished almost immediately over that. Tens of thousands of dollars were raised and we were able to buy new vehicles and get rid of those things that we had. That's exhortation. That's how that gift can benefit a church body. Then he mentions here the gift of giving. If God has blessed you with the resources to give and you love giving, God bless you. Where would the body of Christ be without, without those who love to give? Now folks, what are we not talking about here? What are we not talking about here? Hmm. We're not talking about tithing. We're all to do that. Everybody is, the, the Bible teaches that principle of, of giving a tenth out of the increase that God has blessed us with. I'm not talking about that here. I'm talking about that person who just loves to do more. Above and beyond their time. They love to help that family out in need, some special Mission project or calls in the church, they love to give behind the scenes to that. They love to give extra on a, on a building fund. On and on, we could do with that. We could go with that. They love giving so that the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. They're not giving so they're announcing, hey, look at me and what I've done. They're not doing that at all. Giving behind the scenes. Don't want any recognition for it. Folks, don't assume that everybody who has the gift of giving has to be wealthy. You'd be surprised. Some people who have meager resources give way above and beyond what you would think a person in their situation would. Whatever your means are though you just love to give you're that hilarious giver as the Bible talks about that cheerful giver the the Greek word is hilarious. you love, you laugh about it, you love, you cheer the opportunity to give more. And again, where would the body of Christ where would mission organizations be where would where would different parachurch groups be without those people who have the gift of giving the giver is the opposite of the hoarder remember in Luke 12 that guy who said Whoo, I've had a bumper crop year I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones and I'm going to say to myself self, you've got it made you can eat, drink, and be merry and God said you fool This very night your soul shall be required of you. The giver is the opposite of the hoarder. And then the gift he mentions here of leading. It's two words here, before and stand. A leader is somebody who stands before the people and gives direction. Now there are some common opinions of leadership. A common opinion number 1 I guess is if you hold if you hold the position you are one. Oh, if that were only true. Many pastors have been disappointed by people who get into leadership positions and then once they're in a leadership position they have no earthly idea what to do with it. A second opinion is that all leaders are extroverts. That's not true. Who in the Bible do we know that apparently from all that was said about him and all the exhortations about him, evidently he was a pretty weak little introverted guy. Who we know fits that description? Somebody in the New Testament. Paul was his spiritual father Timothy, exactly Evidently Timothy was kind of a little sickly and introverted type guy Yet God made him a leader in the church Don't assume that every leader has got to be an extrovert Third misconception is that the leader is always the speaker Was Moses the leader? That God sent back to deliver the children of Israel? Yes, he was the leader. But who is the speaker, who is the mouthpiece that God sent with Moses? Aaron. A fourth misconception is that a leader is always a good administrator. Oftentimes, a good leader needs a good administrator to put his vision into practice. Who didn't Moses need to instruct him on how to organize everything? Jethro. Jethro said, Moses, you're crazy. Try and do all this yourself. You can't. So sometimes a leader needs to put capable men and women around him who can carry out the vision. Common problems with leadership Leadership is not something that you bestow on somebody Simply out of obligation Somebody says, well you know Mr. So and So he's, He's been a deacon all his life We really need to make him our chairman Well maybe he has the gifts of being the chairman Maybe he doesn't Leadership needs to reflect some kind of ability Another common problem with leadership, true leaders can rely too heavily upon their gift of leadership and not be dependent on the Holy Spirit. The leadership. Then then he mentions the last one he covers. Here's the gift of what? Mercy. Mercy is the ability to come alongside of people, kind of enter into their hurts and pains with them and minister God's loving care to them. When people go to the hospital and you love to be there. When a family is going through a tough time and you love to be there to help them. That's mercy. Sometimes the gift of mercy expresses itself. You're just a shoulder for somebody to cry on. You're You're there for support and encouragement. The gift of mercy. Now again folks... Romans 12 is isn't an exhaustive list because we would need to go through all those gifts in Ephesians 4 all those in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 we'd need to go through those too but most believe that the Romans 12 list here is sort of the basic list of gifts that a church body needs You can't really imagine just a basic ministry kind of taking root and growing and flourishing without these gifts mentioned here in Romans 12. Now, remember how Romans 12 started. Romans 12 started by saying you need to make that living sacrifice of yourself. And not be compromised to the world. And then beginning in verse 3, he starts talking about these gifts. What's the connection between verses 3 to 8 and verses 1 and 2? Well, verses 3 to 8 is sort of how you put feet on verses 1 and 2, right? How am I going to be that living sacrifice, that offering that I present to God? Well, if my gift is teaching, I need to get busy teaching. If my gift is service and ministry and helps, I need to get busy serving. You see, by doing your gift, by carrying out your gift to the glory of God, you're accomplishing what he says in verse 1. Making your life that offering to God. So it fits together. The stewardship of your spiritual gift is part of your overall stewardship. Now, what if you don't know what your gift is? Where do you start? Where do you start? Ask God to show you. God, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved and I want to be a blessing to my church family. I don't really know what my gift is. But Lord, the Bible says you've given me one and I'm to use my spiritual gift for my church family. Help my church family be stronger and better about ministry. God, would you show me what my gift is? So I can use it for the common good. Make it a matter of prayer. Secondly, what do you need to do? Read you some books and study the scripture and what it says about the gifts. Study some sermons or books that have been written on spiritual gifts. What do you, what, do you sense, what area, what gift do you sense God's equipped you to do? Make it a point of giving some specific uh, attention to that. Thirdly, be alert. What do I mean by that? What do you enjoy doing? There's something you're passionate about. Something that sort of makes your clock tick, so to speak, in church life, right? Well, that's probably a pretty good indication of what your gift may be. So be alert to that. What do I really enjoy doing? When I'm doing that in the church, nobody has to come to me and beg me to do it. Man, I'm looking for opportunities to go do that. We don't have to beg Arlis to share Jesus with lost people. We don't have to beg him to go on mission trips, right? Boy, he motiv- that's his passion. He's motivated to do that. What makes your clock tick? What motivates you? What what really gets your juices flowing and you just wake up eager to do it? Be alert to that. Fourthly, be, be willing. If you don't know what your area, what your giftedness is, try several different things, serve in several different capacities. See what you like and you're good at. And then lastly, I'd say be listening. See, I I think what you're passionate about, what makes your clock tick, you're also going to get affirmation from other people. They're going to say, man, you know what? You're you're good at that. We, We really enjoy being in your class, or I love... Going and doing a ministry project in the com- community and working alongside of you in that. If somebody who might have the gift of service or help. Somebody says, man, I love serving with you doing that. I just learned so much and I love to watch the way you carry, carry yourself and handle that. Be listening. What do, what do other people say? To all of these. Be prayerful. Pray about it. Be informed. Study. Be alert. What do you enjoy doing? Be willing. Try new areas, new invitations. Be listening. What do others say? Where do they affirm you? That's just a way to start discovering what your spiritual gift may be. But remember, if you're a child of God, you've got a spiritual gift. And that gift is to be utilized for the sake of this church. Or in the future, you move out of town, move to another church. Whatever church, whatever church family you're a part of, your gift is meant to build up that church to help the footprint of the ministry of that body of believers. Your gift's important. Don't belittle it. Don't belittle somebody else's. God, in His sovereign wisdom, has given you the gift He wants you to have, given your brothers and sisters in the Lord the gift He wants them to have. When you put all the gifts together and everybody is developing and deploying their gift, guess what? The body of Christ just kind of hums along, doesn't it? What's the body of Christ do too much? We just kind of limp along, right? That old 80-20 rule. that, you know, Whether it's true or not in every congregation, I think it's pretty well a good principle. 20% of the people do everything. So what are churches doing? They're just kind of limping along. We've got soldiers in God's army who are AWOL. They're not using their gift. And they're hurting the body of Christ. They're missing a blessing and their church is missing a blessing. Because they're not standing in the gap and doing what God has called them to do. There's no program in the word of God for just pew sitting and that's all. No program or plan in the word of God for that Just like you depend on all the members of your body to function together So you'll be strong and healthy God looks at us like his body Says yeah there's one of my hands and there's another There's one of my eyes, there's one of my mouthpieces, And God wants his body flourishing And it can only do that as we all discover our spiritual gift, develop our spiritual gift, and deploy our spiritual gift. Discover, develop, deploy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father we thank you for just the the truth of the church That we learn about in the New Testament That you don't save us and all just send us out to a, a life of loneliness and isolation But you want us to be a part of a spiritual family And then you want that spiritual family To be on mission with you. And for that to take place. Every member needs to be in his or her place. Doing what you've equipped them to do and called them to do. Lord help us to be that kind of body. Help us to be a strong and healthy body. That everybody understands The role that you've given to them. And they use their gift joyfully. And as that offering that they present to you. And they help the church family to be what the church family needs to be. Lord, help our church family to be like that. A body that's able to walk and run and not a body that limps. And may we remember that we do it all for your glory and for the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.